I'm going to ask you to join me in standing as we read from God's Word in Luke chapter 12. We're wrapping up this morning a series in Luke 12, 13 to 34, uh, entitled How to, How to Be Rich Toward God. And so uh, we're going to just back up and read this whole passage. We've been working our way through it. We'll finish with the last three verses this morning. I just want to back up and read the entirety of the section together. Luke 12, verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, that is Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbiter over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared... Whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you'll put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And and which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life, if then you are not able to do a small thing as that? Why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried, for all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom And these things will be added to you. And in today's passage, fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word as we open it and study it a little bit later on. I'm so thankful that we know God as Father. I'm so thankful that we have, if you know Jesus today, you can enjoy the comforts of, of those words of Jesus. The summary of all of that is we don't have to fear We can live for God, knowing that God will take care of us in every way. And yet, so many that we know, 
you have neighbors, family members, co-workers that, that don't have that comfort. Those words of Jesus do not apply to them because they don't know him. And so we want to pray for your neighbors that you would share, uh, have opportunity to share Christ with them. But we also want to pray for the nations. We want to pray for um, the work in Jamaica. But we want to pray for an unreached people group today like we do every Sunday. And that is the House of People in Niger. These are Sunni Muslim people. It's a people group of 12 million 100,000 people, and of those, there is 1.6% that are evangelical believers, so a little less than 200,000 among 12 million. So we want to pray for our brothers and sisters there, very small, We've got a big task to reach the other, uh, tw- just the, the 12 million of, of, their, um, of their kinsmen, but we want to pray for them to be strong in the Lord and, and, and with the gospel, uh, so that the gospel may run in this people group may be reached. Would you join me in prayer? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the comfort, albeit challenging comfort that you've given us in Luke 12. Father, I pray that we would have the heart of heaven while in this world about the stuff of this world and about the stuff of heaven. Help us to think differently. Lord, how I pray for those that we know personally in our circles close by our family, our friends, our our co-workers and neighbors that need Jesus. We pray, God, that you would make us bold and not guilty in silence with the good news of Christ. Make us bold to speak and talk about you, even as we live and show the goodness of our God. Father, I pray for the work in Jamaica. We pray for Pastor Denzel and the, the network of churches there. We pray for the kindergarten and and all those who serve the children, teaching them uh, all that they need to know, uh, teaching them to read and how to, how to learn and grow, but also, Lord, your word. We pray for those children that you would even work in their hearts and bring salvation. We pray, God, you'd provide through us the needs uh, that are needed not only for the work in Jamaica, but uh, all the other missionaries that we uh, support, the Teals, uh, Hannah, Kelly, and... Um, the Vanderdeckers, as well as Pastor Kennedy and Pastor Harrison and their churches in Kenya. Father, we pray for the house of Niger. Thank you for brothers and sisters there. Such a small minority, Lord. We pray that you would strengthen them. We pray for protection. We pray for faithfulness, even in in the midst of persecution. Uh, And God, how we pray that the gospel would run, that they would be bold, to share Christ with the other 12 million uh, of their people. Lord, today we rejoice and praise your name for answered prayer in the life of Samuel MacArthur. Thank you that he's home, that he's feeling good. Uh, Lord, he, uh, just, it's, it's no doubt a miracle by your hand uh, as this time last Sunday uh, They had no idea what was going to happen. It was bad. Thank you for working and bringing healing in Samuel's body. We pray for continued healing. Pray for wisdom for the doctors as they continue to to do tests and figure out how they need to treat the the problem. And uh, we just praise you, God, for um, showing yourself strong in this situation. Pray for Ed Penland, Lord, Matt's dad, who will be having surgery on May the 5th. Uh, Pray for that to, to go well. We Thank you that Joe Winkler, for whom we prayed last week, is home. 
Today we pray for Dayton Dyer, Stacy Dyer, our associational missionary's father who had a heart attack uh, last night. We pray that you would bring uh, comfort and healing there. Uh, Lord, we thank you for Sherry Newton and a great time visiting with her here at the church yesterday afternoon. We pray that you would rest her after a long and, and fun day. Thank you for her family. Bless them, strengthen them as they care for her. Lord, we lift up the Warren family today uh, as, as they celebrate the life of Gene Warren with his memorial service this afternoon. We pray, God, that you would just encourage them in a life well lived and, and, and for the Lord Jesus. And we also pray, Father, for the pastor of the family of Pastor Gordon Lawrence, who passed away, pastor at, Cherry, uh, at Cornerstone uh, Baptist Church in Cherry Log. Uh, we pray for his family as they grieve his homegoing uh, on Thursday. Lord, thank you for the privilege to pray, and thank you for showing us answers to prayer. In each of these situations that we've prayed for, Lord, show yourself strong. Give glory to, bring glory to Christ uh, by answering these prayers. According to your perfect wisdom and will, we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Remain standing as we worship in song. We're glad you joined us this morning. We're going to sing uh, 10,000 Reasons together.
Father, we thank you for who you are. Thank you, Father, that you are the God of all grace. And though you were holy, you 
initiated a way that a world full of sinners like us could be made sons and daughters of the living God and become those loved by you and call you our good, good Father. We didn't deserve that. There's no way we would have ever been able to earn that standing. We were your enemies and under your just wrath because of our great sin toward you. And yet you loved us. Scriptures say, but God who is rich in mercy, when we were dead in trespasses and sins, made us alive, resurrected us from the death of our own sin that we might see our sin and our need for Jesus. And God, by grace, you gave us faith to trust Him that we might become sons and daughters of the living God and know this relationship of intimate love with the Creator of all things as our Daddy. And Lord, our lives as your people is so much about understanding who you are as our Father. So much of what you call us to do, the way that you call us to show your beauty to the world as your children, our ability, our willingness, our engagement in in living those things out is so contingent on how we see you and whether we really believe that you're a good good father and and whether we really trust your daily care of us so god today i pray that we would be more convinced than ever with lives of obedience that prove it, that you are a good, good Father who can never tell us the wrong thing to do, whose ways are best. That the life you call us to live is as good as it gets, even when it goes against the grain of our own selfish and sinful nature. So God, by your spirit and through your word, grow us in following our God and in living in obedience to our Father. We need you. We pray you'd be our teacher now. Take what we hear and don't just fill our minds, but transform our hearts. For out of the heart springs all the issues of life all of, all of our living comes from what goes on in our hearts so help us we pray we ask it in Jesus name Amen alright we'll be dismissed to children's church this morning and I'll invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 12 Luke chapter 12 we'll be looking at verses 32 to 34 just a few moments. I think I failed to mention earlier, we will receive the foreign missions offering on your way out this morning. Uh, on your way out, you'll be able to give uh, to the foreign mission offering on your way out. 
Luke chapter 12, we'll be looking at verses 32 to 34. So let's think about blind spots, particularly blind spots when you're driving. Does everybody know what I'm talking about? All you drivers aware of that, I hope. I mean, that's, that's a real problem if you're not aware of the blind spots. Uh, a blind spot is that spot that you, as you're driving down the road, can't see. It's kind of like somewhere in here or somewhere in here. Your mirrors take care of what's directly behind. Your side view mirror can catch some of it. You kind of can see right here, but then there's a spot you can't see, right? And they can be very dangerous when you're driving. How many of you have about or maybe gone all the way over in the lane and hit somebody? Okay, there was a, there's a taker back there. I believe the way he raised his hand, I'm pretty sure he hit the person. Um, so, that, that happens. Um, this is such a big, I mean, it's dangerous. It's such a big deal. Most car manufacturers have now made it almost standard, right, uh, on the newer vehicles that there's, I don't know if this is what they call it or not, but a blind spot sensor. So when somebody's in your blind spot, your, your whatever side of the car, something flashes in your side view mirror, and you hear something, deep, 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 as long as they're in that blind spot region of your vehicle, that thing's going off, Right? That's, a, that's an awesome thing. Uh, I, I don't have that on my vehicle, but we were on a trip somewhere and, and rented a truck, and, and man, that thing's, that thing's talking to me. You know, it's doing all this stuff for me. Uh, and they steer for you. I'm not so sure what I like about that sometimes, but no doubt those devices have saved drivers from many accidents. Well, God's Word serves as a blind spot sensor in our lives, doesn't it? For our hearts and lives by pointing out our spiritual blind spots. It helps us avoid wrecking our lives if, here's the catch, if we've got the sensor turned on, which means if we know what the Word says about our blind spots. And I'm just going to be honest with you, the more I listen to Jesus talking about money in Luke's gospel, it seems to me that materialism and the love of money is an ongoing potential blind spot in my life, and I would dare say in the, most of Amer- in, in the, in the lives of most American churchgoers. And this is a major deal. Let's just get that on the table to begin with. It's a big deal that the love of money and materialism is a blind spot for most of us because, as David Platt puts it, if our lives do not reflect radical compassion for the poor, there is reason to question just how effective we will be in declaring the glory of Christ to the ends of the earth. More pointedly, if our lives do not reflect radical compassion for the poor, there is reason to wonder if Christ is really in us at all. Now, if that's true, that's a big deal. If that's true then ignoring the blind spot, not programming your blind spot sensor to see your own love of money or materialism 
could land you in a devil's hell all the while through this life you think you're headed to heaven. So let's turn on God's blind spot sensor by opening his word to Luke 12. We're in the middle of a series, or at the end of the series, called How to Be Rich Toward God, taken straight from the language of Jesus, where he's describing the, the telling the story of the, the, the rich fool and, and the reality that he was so foolish because he stored up treasure for himself and was not rich toward God. So that just helps us when we figure out right quick what we need to learn. It got the rich fool dead, right? So that thing of storing up treasure for yourself, that th- this idea of not being rich toward God, that's where we don't want to be. So that means we want to learn how to be rich toward God. And that's what we've been unpacking in Luke 12, 13 to 34. Two weeks ago, we, saw, uh, we, we talked about guarding against greed. And we saw there that we can guard against the foolishness of greed by believing. How? By believing that treasuring God is real life. Life's not about stuff, it's about Him. And then last week we talked about trusting our Father for our needs there in Luke 12, 22 to 31. And we, we learned that we can trust our good Father to meet our needs and live, therefore live in a focused pursuit of His kingdom priorities in our lives. We, we don't have to worry about everything in our lives. We can focus on what He's called us to focus on, and that is His kingdom, His righteousness, the Great Commission, all that He's called us as His people to do. We can really give our lives there, and He, our good Father, will meet our needs and care for us. And this morning, we wrap it up with verses 32 to 34, and we learn that the third way that we're to be rich toward God is, is, is to give to the needy. So we're talking about this morning, giving to the needy. And here's the take-home truth. This is a long one. I realize that, but just stay with me. Listen to the words. Try to catch it and understand what Jesus is saying in these three simple verses. These verses teach us this. We don't have to be afraid to sacrificially give to those in spiritual and physical need for God delights to give us His eternal kingdom, even as we store up eternal dividends for ourselves. We don't have to be afraid to sacrificially give to both those in spiritual and physical need, because our God delights to give us His kingdom. We'll talk about what all this means later. To give us His eternal kingdom. And while we're giving sacrificially, you know what we're doing? According to Jesus, we're storing up eternal dividends for ourselves. Now, this is a winning scenario for us. It's a winning scenario, listen to me, for eternity. Giving to the needy, trusting our Father welcoming the gift of the kingdom that He gives to us, even as we give to the needy, will earn for us eternal dividends. You ever heard of, of such? Does anything you, that you know about pay eternal dividends? Hello? Nope. I'm fixing to tell you the most valuable investment you can ever make. It's right here. Luke chapter 12, verse 32. Jesus said, Fear not, Little flock. Interesting, this is the only place in the New Testament Jesus addresses his disciples and us as his people as little flock. What a precious term that is, isn't it? How, how, how tender and, 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 and just what a, what a sweet thing to be called by Jesus, little flock. 
Fear not. He, he loves us. He's comforting us from the very beginning. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Wow. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure, great delight to give you the kingdom. So what does that mean? Sell your possessions. And give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that don't grow old. With a treasure in the heavens that does not fail. Where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Summarize it all. We don't have to be afraid to sacrificially give to those in spiritual and physical need because God delights to give us His kingdom, His eternal, everlasting kingdom, even as we store up for ourselves eternal dividends. There's five things I want you to see from these three verses this morning. First of all, in verse 32, fear keeps us from true kingdom giving. I want you to leave today with, with, with an understanding of what true kingdom giving is. Not only that, I want you to leave here today committed to be true kingdom givers. That's the goal of this message, okay? Is that up front enough? That's, that's what I want for you. That's what I want for me. That's what I want for me and Betsy in our giving. But fear, we see first of all, keeps us from true Kingdom giving. Or why else would Jesus have said, fear not, little flock? Right before he tells us to sell our stuff and give. There's a fear factor in giving. Fear keeps us from true kingdom giving. Fear not, little flock. For it's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. This whole chapter, by the way, has been one encouragement after another to fear not or don't be anxious. Let's, let's run through it again. Verse 4 of chapter 12 says, Do not fear those who kill the body, and after that have no more they can do. And he goes on to tell why. Because God is the one you're to fear, the one who can kill your, soul, your body, but also your soul. Do not fear those who kill the body. Verse 11, When they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and authorities, do not be anxious. Real kin to fear, isn't it? Do not be anxious how or what you are to answer or what you are to say, as Jesus goes on to say, because the Holy Spirit will give you the words. Verse 22, do not be anxious about your life, what you shall eat, or about your body, what you, sh you shall put on. And he gives those illustrations that we read. God, God feeds the ravens. God clothes the, the lilies. Don't you think he can take care of you? Don't you think he, he'll, he'll provide for you? Verse 29, do not seek what you are to eat or, and, and what you are to drink, nor be of anxious mind. Another way of saying, don't be afraid about life and, and, and your daily needs. Or, on the other hand, don't obsess about the stuff that God will give you that you need, but don't make it a priority. Focus on the kingdom, he says. Because he knows you need all that and he'll take care of you. And now, verse 32 Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Fear keeps us from being true kingdom givers. In verse 32, 
I want you to see the images that are, that are, that are there in just that one sentence about who God is. The, 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 the pictures of God that are painted in this one verse. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. How many of you can find, real quick, three pictures of God, three images of God from that verse? God is a blank. Three things. This is, this is a, a good lesson in Bible study. Okay, but, let, but, but it's real specific based on the words that are used. Fear not, little flock. What a, hey, now, all right, I got you now. Y'all are, y'all are awake now. We're good. God is a good shepherd. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure. I mean, that's a giveaway, right? He just told you who he is. He's his father. To give you the kingdom, he's a king. In, in Luke 12, 32, God is our watchful shepherd. He is our almighty king, and he's our tender father. J.D. Greer calls this God's trifecta of assurance. He wants you to know he loves you. He wants to motivate your generous and radical and sacrificial giving to the spiritually and physically needy from the basis of the gospel that he loves you and gave his own son to die for you. And he wants to give you his kingdom. And he's your shepherd that takes care of you and me when I'm dumb. Because we are, hello. He's a good, good father. He's a gentle and caring and watchful shepherd. And he is an almighty king. Here's the deal. If he tells you to do something, he's got the power to give you what you need to get it done. Jesus says, fear not, because he knows the Father's heart, that he delights to give you the kingdom of God. You see, fear is really a lack of trust in the goodness of our Father. It's questioning that whole song Jason sang, when we have a heart full of fear. It's a lack of trust in the goodness of our Father to, to want to take care of us, And to be able to do it. It's a lack of trust in the power of our king. To be able to provide for us. And to know how to best order and dictate our lives for our good and his glory. And it's a lack of trust, fear is, in our shepherd to know what's best for us. To lead us in the right paths, to get us to the food and water our souls need, to protect us from wolves and other predators and enemies that would devour our lives. We know his name is Satan, and they're called demons. And even to shepherd us and help us deal with our own sinful nature called the flesh. That's what fear is. It's a lack of trust. And in this context, it's all about fear. Stay with me. Don't miss this. It's all about fear when it comes to generously, more than that, sacrificially giving our money to meet the needs of those who are spiritually and or physically without what they need. That means food and clothing physically. That means the gospel spiritually. Now, let's just be clear. And let's just be real. We don't say 
that we're afraid when we don't give radically and sacrificially. No, we don't say that. We don't just say it out loud, hey, I don't, I don't trust God enough to give that way. We're more, we're, we're more refined and religious than that, aren't we? We don't say that we don't trust our Father, our Shepherd, and our King. We hide our fear under the guise of financial wisdom and prudence. And given like you're talking about, Jesus, that just don't make sense. It's not wise. But fear keeps us from true kingdom giving. Secondly, I want you to see, though, that our Father's good pleasure to give us His kingdom eliminates fear. When you leave here today, there's no excuse for living in fear and not being a true kingdom giver who gives sacrificially. Our good Father's Our Father's good pleasure to give us His kingdom eliminates fear. The rest of verse 32. Fear not, little flock, for... Here's why you don't have to fear. It is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. What does that mean? Sounds amazing. I don't have to fear because He wants to give me the kingdom. But what does that mean that He wants to give me the kingdom? I mean, I don't, I, don't, I don't live in a palace. I don't have a throne. What does that mean? Romans 14, 17, Paul tells us what the kingdom of God is all about. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. It's about the heart of God. He wants to give us Himself. And He wants us to live even as Christ lived which is the happiest of all possible lives. So our Father, when when, when Jesus says, it's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom, Jesus is saying, it's your Father's great delight, it's His highest joy, it's the deepest desire of His heart to give you the kingdom. He's saying that our Father wants to produce righteousness, peace, and joy by His Holy Spirit in our lives. And again, in our context, in Luke 12, 32-34, our Father delights to give us the ability to be true kingdom givers so that we reap eternal in dividends from our investments. God wants to make us true kingdom givers so that we reap eternal dividends on our money investments as we give to the spiritually and physically poor of our world. You know, it's interesting. Paul addresses this very thing in a little different terms. That it's our, good fa- our Father's good pleasure to give us His kingdom and how that eliminates fear over in 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 through 11. By the way, two chapters here in the middle of 2 Corinthians, chapters 8 and 9, some of those powerful teaching on giving, challenging words about our giving that, that you find in all of Scripture. But in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6, Paul says, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly, we're talking about giving here, don't miss this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. That's talking about money. It's talking about when you give generously, you reap generously. If if, if you're stingy in your giving, that's that's what your harvest is going to look like. Because here's the deal, if you sow a lot of seed, you get a big harvest, right? That's what God's saying. 
Each one, verse 7, must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Now, there's a lot of alls and everys and alwayses in that, in that verse. A lot of superlatives. One of the most powerful verses in all of Scripture about your giving, here's what, here's what God's saying. You reap what you sow. If you give big, you, you'll, 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 you'll reap the harvest of the kingdom big. And here's the thing. We're not talking about being guilted into giving. I pray that you've never heard me or never will hear me try to guilt you into giving. It's not about that. God loves a cheerful giver. And here's the deal. You ought to be a cheerful giver. Why? Because the Father loves you. He's your, he's your father. He's your shepherd. He's your king. Jesus is your savior. Why will we not cheerfully give to the God who gave us everything he had, even the life of his own son? I mean, grace motivates. There, there's, no, there's no need for a guilt trip. Grace motivates us to give. Amen? We want to give. But then it says in verse 8, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things, at all times, you may abound in every good work. This whole, that whole verse is about giving to a need. Giving to spiritually needy people. Giving to physically needy people. In this case, uh, it, it, was, it was the, the, the believers um, that, that, that were under persecution that needed, uh, they were just being basically starved to death uh, societally because of their uh, faith in Christ. And, and, and it was about providing for them. But what that verse tells us is this. If you'll trust God, who is your father, your shepherd, and your king, every opportunity you have to give, you will be enabled to give by God. I mean, I didn't, I didn't put the alls and the everys in there. Do we believe the, the, the literal word of God? Do we believe exactly what God says to us through the Apostle Paul? God is able to make all grace abound to you. So that, having all sufficiency in all things, at all times, you may abound in every good work. And, and, and abound is a big word, isn't it? Yeah. That doesn't mean you can just kind of, you know, flip a fiver in the plate. I mean, I mean it, it means you can, you can give more than you think you can give because God is your supply. As it is written, he's distributed freely, he's given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Listen, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, who's that? God. Will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness in giving. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. I, I, again, Paul said this. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. That is, as they took the gift up to the churches in Jerusalem that were being persecuted. It'll result in God's glory. You see, we don't have to fear being true kingdom givers. Our fathers got this. How many times have you not given or given stingily or tokenly to a need that would benefit the life of someone physically or spiritually because you were afraid you didn't have enough. You know, see, the question is, how much is enough? Right? 
Our Father's good pleasure to give us his kingdom eliminates fear. Here's the bottom line. If I don't give generously, if I don't give sacrificially, then what I'm saying about my Father is, I like him, but I just don't trust him. Appreciate salvation, God. You took care of my soul for eternity. You sent your son to die. I don't have to worry about ever being under condemnation again. There's therefore now no condemnation for anybody who's in Christ Jesus. You've told me I've got eternal life with you in heaven. You've told me that, that Jesus, that you went ahead of me to prepare a place. You're coming back. You're going to take me home. I, I, I've got an address in heaven. But God, you cannot handle giving me what I need so that I can do what you said for me to do, which is give radically and even sacrificially in this world. You see how dumb that is when I think that way and talk that way? That's just plain. Let me kind of say it. That's plain stupidity. We've just told God, you've done the biggest thing the universe has ever seen, and that is save sinners, but you can't handle some dollar bills. Wow. And thus, the blind spot of materialism and the love of money begins to surface and we see what's going on in here. Thirdly, true kingdom giving, let's talk about what it is, is limiting our wealth by sacrificially giving to those with great spiritual and physical needs. How many of you like that definition of true kingdom giving? How many of you are hoping, just hoping? You were just dying and hoping that's exactly how we were going to define from the Word of God true kingdom giving. Nope. Nope. But it's here in the words of Jesus. True kingdom giving is limiting our wealth intentionally by sacrificially giving to those with great spiritual and physical needs. Jesus said, right after he said, fear not, little flock, it is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Here's what he says that means. Here's what practical steps are to be taken in response to that amazing truth. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Hello. See, this society wasn't a big cash society like ours is. Uh, they didn't have the stock market and investments and, 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 and a, lot, a lot of money. They had currency. I, I understand that. But in that day, so much of their wealth was possessions, stuff, food, you know, property, all this kind of thing. And so Jesus just, just goes right to it and sell your possessions and give to the needy. I mean, because you're God's little flock, you're, you're, you're my precious sheep, and because my Father wants to give you a kingdom that will never end, which, by the way, is way bigger than the kingdoms we build with any money or stuff here. That's the, that's the contrast. That's the point. Then, then, then here's how we should live as Christians. This is just natural, Jesus said. This, is, this, is the, this should be our default. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. That's not an optional suggestion. That's an imperative in the Greek language. It's a command. A command given by the one who lived, died, and rose again for your salvation and mine. True kingdom giving is limiting our wealth by sacrificially giving to those with great spiritual and physical need. You say, where's this limiting our wealth, intentionally limiting our wealth? Because you're choosing to sell your stuff and give it. When you do that, you take away from what you keep and you give it. Right? True kingdom of giving is limiting our wealth by sacrificially giving, with, giving to those with great spiritual and physical needs. But fourthly, notice in, at the, in, in verse 33 also, true kingdom giving 
builds eternal dividends for us. We've already talked about this, but I want us to really kind of kind of kind of just meditate on this. Jesus goes on, sell your sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide for yourselves, <coughs> provide, provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old and with treasure that in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches or moth destroys. Now remember again, True kingdom giving builds eternal dividends for us. But, but remember what true kingdom giving is. It's limiting on purpose our wealth by giving sacrificially to those in spiritual and physical need. So true kingdom giving, that kind of giving, builds eternal dividends for us. You know, your earthly possessions can be stolen, can't they? How many of you have ever been robbed? I bet there's somebody in the room. I see several hands go up. I mean, I mean, there you go. Just, just in case you wondered if that could actually happen, there's several people in the room who can tell you hey, it happens. People rob you. Your earthly possessions wear out, don't they? Most everything eventually decays. Somehow. But everything, in the end, will be destroyed. Everything that we possess today in this world when Jesus returns to take us home and simultaneously judge the world, the Scriptures say it'll be consumed by fire. It's going to be completely burned. And and, and, in that same moment, don't know how this is all going to happen, He's going to remake the heavens and the earth and we'll live forever in the new heavens and the new earth where righteousness dwells. But the stuff of today, gone. Gone. Burned. But the heavenly earnings... On true kingdom giving of your money, your time, and other resources cannot be stolen, Jesus said, and will never decay and will never be destroyed. Now, here's the deal there are zero earthly investments that will pay eternal dividends, they don't exist. Your stock market investments will cease to pay the dividends when you and yours. Die or when Jesus returns. I understand those dividends could outlast you for your family. you got beneficiaries. I understand how that works. But, but here's the deal. Some, sometimes, someday, they're going to stop paying. Nothing else when Jesus comes back. Your real estate investments will cease to provide a return when you and yours die or Jesus comes home, comes back to take us home. But listen, don't miss this. The earthly investments you make now in the meeting of people's spiritual and physical needs will pay you for eternity. Jesus says that. For eternity. And again, don't miss this. Jesus gives us a command to go after those heavenly money bags. Provide yourselves with. It's a command, just like sell your... Stuff was a command. This is a command. Provide yourselves. I'm telling you. I'm commanding you. This is how my people live. They sell their stuff and they give. They run after. They pursue heavenly money bags. Eternal dividends. Again, it's not just an incidental result of this kind of giving. But such eternal riches are to be an intentional Pursuit. Jesus wants you to have dividends that pay forever. He wants you to invest well. 
in stuff that will pay you forever. Now, here's the deal. We got a, a financial advisor. We, you know, you, you guys got bankers and, and finance. And, 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 and hey, I'll, we like ours. I mean, he's, he's good. He's, he's helped us with, with investments. But here's the thing. He's never helped me with an investment that will pay eternal dividends. Never. What do you think about Jesus? You like him? You think he's smart? You think he's got good, good ideas, good wisdom? He's telling us how to live and invest our lives and our money. Best, best financial advisor there is because he's God. Hello? And he's telling you how to get eternal dividends. So here's the deal. To fail, to invest in what will pay you eternal dividends is one, plain dumb again, right? We're back to dumb. If you know how to get eternal dividends and you don't do it, I mean, you're just dumb. I'm just stupid. Why would I not do that? I mean, here's the thing. If I could tell you today that if you... If you actually, let's go back 10 years. Our son heard of this thing 10 years ago called Bitcoin. And he told his mama, he said, I think I want to buy some of that. She said, son, that's crazy. That's crazy. What is Bitcoin? I mean, that's just one of these little fatty things, you know. I mean, he, <laughs> I mean, the boy would be retiring. Jesus can't lie to you. There's no risk in dividends happening in your life forever if you'll simply do what Jesus said. I mean, it's guaranteed. Like nothing's ever been guaranteed in any investment you've ever made. Do you believe him? True kingdom giving builds eternal dividends for us. And finally, in verse 34, true kingdom giving reveals that we are actually in God's kingdom. Verse 34, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Here's the bottom line. If your heart's not in the kingdom, if your heart's not about the kingdom stuff, God's kingdom stuff, if your heart's not about what God's heart's about, then you may not be in the kingdom. You may just be a church member. May just have your name on a roll, may just attend a, 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 some services, whatever, but you're not part of the kingdom of God. If your heart's not in heaven, if your heart's not in the kingdom, if the kingdom doesn't drive your heart and, and, and dictate your behavior. Again, remember what true kingdom giving is? Limiting our wealth according to Jesus' two commands by sacrificially giving to those with great spiritual and physical needs. Sell your possessions and give to the need. Provide for yourselves money bags that will never wear out in heaven. So no matter what we say, no matter how, we, how good we look on a Sunday morning, don't miss this, guys. No matter how busy you are with church stuff, According to Jesus, if we neglect the poor, 
both spiritually poor and physically poor, if we neglect to give sacrificially to them, we reveal that our hearts don't beat with the heart of God's Spirit. And thus, we reveal that we are not in the kingdom of God. True kingdom giving reveals that we are actually in God's kingdom. This is what God's people do, Jesus said. You see, we don't have to be afraid to sacrificially give to those in spiritual and physical need for God delights to give us His eternal kingdom even as we store up eternal dividends for ourselves. Pastor David Platt tells a story of... A wealthier man in his church, I'm I'm pretty sure this would have been his church over in Birmingham when he was still there. He now pastors at McLean Bible Church in D.C. But he tells the story of a wealthier man in in his church that came to his office one day. After we had been studying, he says, the story of the rich young man. He sat down, looked at me, and said point blank, I think you're crazy for saying some of the things you're saying. Now, can I just tell you, when, when these conversations happen in a pastor's office... It's a very tense moment. You don't know how this is going to go. And and David Platt says, I had no idea what was fixing to happen. But he continued. But I think you're right. I think you're crazy, but I think you're right. And so now I think I'm crazy, the man said, for thinking some of the things I'm thinking. And for the next few minutes, he described to David Platt how he was selling his large house and had decided to give away many of his other possessions. He talked about the needs he wanted to invest his resources in for the glory of Christ. And then David Platt says he looked at me after that through tears in his eyes and he said, I wonder at some points if I'm being irresponsible or unwise. Listen, do not miss with this statement. But then I realize... There is never going to come a day when I stand before God and He looks at me and says, I wish you would have kept more for yourself. And he finished the conversation by saying, I'm confident that God will take care of me. Simple question, are you? Am I? Can God take care of me well enough that I can obey Jesus, his son, who died for me? And sell stuff and give to the poor. Sacrificially. Big giving. That that statement, I mean, I just, I sat there and thought about that for a while when I came across that this week. There is never going to come a day when I stand before God and he looks at me and says, I wish you would have kept more for yourself. There is never going to be a day when God says to me, I wished you had kept more for yourself. Wow. We we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be afraid to sacrificially give to those in spiritual and physical need for our Father delights to give us His eternal kingdom. Even even as He enables us to store up eternal dividends for Himself. Check out this video about a couple with me before we close.
I'm Andy Yoon. This is my wife, Melissa Yoon. We met in college at University of Florida, and we uh, have been married for 16, 16 years. years. It's really funny because when we first met, uh, I remember telling Mel I was gonna buy her a Ferrari. I, I even have a contract. She has, yeah, I wrote it down, like, I'm gonna buy you a Ferrari uh, when I graduate from graduate school. The exact age was 28. Yeah. I was supposed to have one when I was 28. Yeah. I'm older than 28 now. <laughs> yeah. She's a long time. And I don't like, have a Ferrari. <laughs> nope. Nope, not yet. Probably never. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not. Maybe a yeah. toy one. Yeah. But I think our dreams when we first got married. Oh, a house on the ocean. We're just the typical American dream yeah. type things. Yeah. Houses, cars, money, yeah. all the, mm -hmm. the standard things that you would want when you're in your early 20s. Mm -hmm. But the problem was in 2014-ish, the, the office like crashed, and I'm realizing that just like we're super stressed out because we're worried about the dollar. Um, no one was happy. 2014 was just a year where it seemed like nothing was really going right with the business. Mm -hmm. No one was truly happy. And I the, think the kids everyone was it, yeah. stressed out, and yeah. um, Andy specifically was really stressed out. We decided once we had read the book Radical. There were just some things in the book that really stood out to us. I always say that when you when you read a book like Radical, the thing that you are struggling most with mm -hmm. will stick out. And for both of us, it was money. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, like in, in Matthew, it says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And that was us. Our treasure was money, the American dream, having all the things, all the stuff. Mm -hmm. We were Christians, we were going to church. We were doing all the things, we were tithing, but still we were putting our emphasis on money and the dream. I drive 30 minutes to work every day, and during those 30 minutes, I would listen to a sermon or a book. On this day, I was uh, just in prayer, and I was asking God in particular, mm -hmm. I wanna be completely vulnerable. Whatever you want to me to do, I'll do. And that's a really, really hard place to be. It's a scary place to be. It's a very be. scary place to be because uh, sometimes you don't want to hear what God tells you. But if you want to know the truth, uh, that's what you do. And so on this way to work, that's exactly what I did. Mm -hmm. And uh, the, the f question I got asked was, Andy, what have you done with what I've given you? Mm -hmm. And it was so loud and clear. I don't hear his voice that clearly. Um, but that's exactly what I heard. And so automatically I'm thinking, you know what, you're right. Uh, I need to give more than I'm taking in. Mm -hmm. The tricky part is we're a pair, and so I can't just be one-sided here, so. I'm still waiting on my Ferrari <laughs> right now. <laughs> so I call, I call Mel and, and I said, hey, uh, honey, um, I've just been praying and I just, I really feel compelled to give more than we take. And I'm just kind of just, anxiously waiting. And I said, so funny, I agree, the I think we thing. should. Yeah. And, and we always say like, whenever we're on the same page, yeah. uh, especially spiritually on something, that usually means we're on the right track. Right. We have a pretty good track record uh, of that. In 2014, the Yoons began giving 51% of their family's income. One of the things the that I, I think that we have tried to be more intentional about in the past couple of years is 
supporting people and organizations that specifically reach the unreached people groups of the world rather than sending more resources to where people are already reached. When you're trying to reach unreached people groups, you have to understand that it's not gonna look the same as sending a, a missionary to Central America where you can get reports back and you can see people's faces and the work that's being done. Um, in some respects, it feels like you're doing more when you can see what you're doing. Whereas with unreached people groups, you're not necessarily going to know exactly what's going on. You're not always going to see someone come to know Jesus or, or be able to know their name or their face or their story. So I think that for us, we've really had to understand that maybe there'll only be one. Mm. Maybe there'll be a handful. It's not gonna look the same as traditional missions that I think that we're used to in the U.S. church. Mm. Just, I would hope that if we were mm. one of the areas of the unreached, like this remote village that has no access to the gospel, whether it's a, a mountain or just even governmental uh, authority, I would hope that someone out there with the means would be able to come reach us, mm -hmm. teach my children, hey, this is who Jesus is, this is what the gospel is. Mm -hmm. uh, and I would be forever grateful for that. Um, and hopefully mm -hmm. we'd meet in heaven one day. Yeah. After making that commitment to give more than we keep, I think it's just taught us that we don't need the things that we thought we needed. Mm -hmm. We don't, it's not that we don't still desire things. I think we definitely still yep. desire things. Mm -hmm. We just know they're not worth it. Mm -hmm. They're not, they're not going to fulfill the ultimate goal, the thing that we really desire mm -hmm. our lives to be about, mm -hmm. which is spreading the gospel. Mm -hmm. And so sure, you know, who doesn't want a nice car or a boat or, you know, whatever the thing is, but the reality is, is that it's not gonna satisfy us, it's not gonna fulfill us. Um, and I think now looking back, it seems silly to want a Ferrari. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's crazy, <laughs> you know, it's two-seater, we've got kids, that's silly. <laughs>
And you catch what they said? Their focus is on unreached people groups. Why? Last week we talked about the physically poor. We saw, we heard a report from uh, Alan Treble with the Gilmer Food Pantry. Those who need, in this county, need food to eat. So if you want to meet a, a physical need, give to the Gilmer Food Pantry. 60% of all school children in Gilmer County qualify for food assistance. That's two-thirds. Two out of every three children in this county need food. But the reason we talk about unreached people groups is because what does that mean? They're starving for the gospel. They've never heard it. They live in places and among peoples where the gospel has never been preached. They've never even heard the name of Jesus. They are as bankrupt spiritually before God as they can possibly be. And so right now, three of our missionaries serve the unreached. In my daughter's case, she serves the missionaries by teaching their children that serve the unreached. What adjustments in your finances need to be changed today? Are we all clear? I don't want anybody to leave this room today and say, that preacher, all he wants is my money. Let me tell you, I haven't, I haven't mentioned East L.J. Baptist Church in your giving. Now, if you're a believer, that's, there's, there's a thing with your local church. But, but what have I talked about today? I've told you to give to the Gilmer Food Pantry and to missions. So if you give stuff to this mission offering we're taking today, we, we keep zero dollars of it. It goes to all of it goes to our missionaries. And here's the reason I'm not talking about East LJ's finances, because God, again, does not want you to be guilted, pressured, or any of that into giving. He wants you to joyfully, gladly, hilariously, the word means in 2 Corinthians, give. And God can take care of his church. He can take care of it better if everybody was giving like the scriptures tell us, cheerfully, generously. What adjustments in your finances need to be changed today? Let's pray. Father, give us your heart for our world. For the physically and materially poor, those who are hungry and oppressed. And even more so, the unreached peoples living in spiritual bankruptcy. And under your just condemnation and wrath without any hope because they have yet to hear the good news of Jesus that we bathe in every Sunday. Help us to guard our hearts from covetousness. To trust you, Father, for, our, for all we need, both financially and spiritually. In order that we may invest our money in new and radical ways for the advance of the gospel. Through both ministries of mercy to the needy, and through frontier missions to the unreached. Glorify your name in and through us, we pray. For Jesus, you alone are worthy. We give you all we are. As we ask this in your precious name. Amen. Stand together as we close in song. The altar is open for you to come. Respond to the message however you need to do. You can respond right where you are. But don't simply ignore it. Ignoring the message, ignoring the words of your Savior is just a rejection of what he said. Obey him today. Jesus.
God's people said, amen and amen. Thank you for being here today. Again, we'll be receiving our foreign missions offering on the way out today, so uh, thank you in advance for your uh, love for the nations and the glory of Christ among them uh, as you give today. We'll be dismissed. If you join us via live stream, we look forward to seeing you again next Sunday.